0: Let's dive into uh, our scriptures. This is actually the last of uh, in our series called "Rescued," and uh, and uh, really been an amazing series. I have loved it all the way through. The book of Romans is my favorite book of the Bible. We have some challenging stuff that we're going to look at today. Um, challenging from the standpoint of like when do we follow what is said in this situation um, to the letter, and when do we not? This is a This is a uh, story of love, believe it or not, and uh, it's not going to sound like it at the very beginning because it's all about the the arc of this text moves from man's laws to God's laws to God's heart. And as we look through it, uh, Paul is doing something really extraordinary. He's teaching us how we are to be good citizens in the world, and then he's going to turn it in the middle of it. We're going to turn the whole thing right in the middle of the message, but it's going to move from being people who are responsible and, and able citizens in the world that we live. And again, there's no politics in grace ever. We don't talk about it. So, so at the, but, but behind this, Paul is talking to us about authority and what, what does authority mean in our lives? So let's dive into it and take a look. All right, Romans chapter 13, verse one says this. We'll be looking at verses one through 14. Here we go. Let everyone be subject. What does subject mean? It means under the rule of the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, when we, hear, when we see that, immediately we start throwing up red flags, right? Because you go, well, okay, so, so what he's saying is, let everyone, so some people or all people? All people. Let all people be subject under the rule to the governing authorities. Governing authority is any authority that is over your life, whether that's a president or it's a congressman or it's a mayor or it's a police officer or it's a pastor or it's a teacher or it's a coach, right? Let everyone be subject under the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. That's the hard part. That's where we kind of go, ugh. Like no authority that, except for that, that which God has established? Yes, that's exactly right. Some of us go, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, You're not being right with this, Pastor Mike. Uh, Yes, good authority God has established to bring good into the world. Well, actually... The Bible gives us several examples from the Old Testament and into the New Testament where God doesn't just bring good kings, good leaders, good authorities into the world. He brings bad ones in too. Sometimes God brings a good authority to bless us. Sometimes he brings a bad authority to discipline us. Sometimes he brings authorities and we have no idea what's going on there. We have no idea what his purposes are at all. But what we know from the scriptures is that the governing authorities exist because there is no authority except that which God has established. Now, the big problem that we have with this is this, that we've all come across authorities in our life that have not lived up to their office or their role. They've not been moral. They've not been good. There are pastors who have made massive, I mean, even in the city of Orlando, pastors who have made massive decisions that have had cataclysmic consequences in the life of their congregations, right? They fell below the standard. There have been presidents who have fallen below the standard. There are congressmen who fall, congressmen and women who fall below the standard. There are athletes that fall below the standard. There are actors who fall below the standard. And our society is very quick to just kind of turn around, and this seems to be like the worst thing you can call someone in the world today. We are quick to turn back around and go, look at those hypocrites. Look at those hypocrites, right? And so I think it's easy when you look at authorities here and you go, well, it's easy just to go, well, he doesn't mean all authorities, even though he says, let everyone be subject under the rule to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So, so so, he's not saying that. So he's, certainly he's not saying Putin, Pastor Mike, right? Certainly he's not talking about Stalin. He's not talking about Hitler. God brings good kings into the world and bad kings into the world. He brings good into the world and bad for the world for his purposes, right? So what do we do with this? We've got, you know, we'll look at a person, we'll go, what a hypocrite, how terrible. And I think we, we just think, we just throw out those terms and we're like, oh, that solves the problem, that's the end. But let's look at the scripture again. The authorities that exist have been established by God. In other words, they are serving some way, somehow, his purposes. Sometimes for a greater good, sometimes for a season of difficulty. But the accusation of being a hypocrite in our culture, most of the time, actually, it's thrown out and people don't even understand the word of hypocrite. I'm gonna give you a definition for that in a second. But I think... It's easy for us to throw out that person's a hypocrite for doing that. And we look at that and we go, well, that's the worst thing. You can call someone in society today. But I'm here to tell you, I think actually it's a really terrible thing to throw at someone because the reality is all of us are hypocrites. The reality is every single one of us has fallen below the standard. So let's define our terms up on the screen. If by hypocrisy, we mean acting according to our values. I'm not even saying my values that you should follow. I'm talking about your values, the ones that you have, no matter where you come from. And in this room, there are people who are Christians. In this room, there are people who are non-Christians. Every week, people come to Grace to try to figure out their relationship with God. They're like, I don't know what I believe about this. So they come, they learn, they grow, they're taking next steps. That's what this whole church is about, right? So I'm not talking about my values. I'm talking about even if you have values that are completely different than everyone else's in the room, if by hypocrisy, we mean acting according to our values and good standards of conduct, then all have sinned and fallen below the standard. All have sinned and fallen below the standard. So, so, so it's not helpful just to throw out something, and go, well, that person's a hypocrite, and write them off. If hypocrisy, according to this standard, is the standard for you following any authority, there are no authorities that can be followed. Because I'm a hypocrite and you're a hypocrite too. And therefore, throwing out the term really doesn't help us a whole lot. We need to begin with, there's a whole different standard at play. In fact, the idea right now that permeates our culture is the concept of cancel culture, right? It's a frustrating to me, thing to me, to be honest with you, because can I just be really, really clear with you about this? And just for a second, just for one second, the rest, this, the rest of this is totally applicable to you, but I'm only talking to Christians right now. Cancel culture is the, is the anti-Christ philosophy, It is not what God wants. And here's why. Because Jesus came for the downhearted, the brokenhearted, the weak, the sinner. He hung out with prostitutes, drunkards, and tax collectors, the worst of society. Jesus hung around with those people who the religious people were too religious to hang out with. And he didn't just do it for the sake of doing it. He did it for the sake of mission so that he would win some to himself and to his father. Because what's beautiful, I mean, and it doesn't matter what you've done with people to scream, you're a hypocrite, whether you slap someone at the Oscars or you do whatever. It is a reality that someone as a Christian should come behind him and everyone else who falls as a hypocrite and say, I too am a hypocrite and I've been forgiven my sins by Jesus and he restored my life and set me on a new track. You can have that exact same experience. The the cancel culture today is a massive opportunity for the church to shine. Because we do the opposite. We don't just cast people out because they fall down. Jesus said, God is close to the brokenhearted. And therefore, our job is to, is to forgive. Our job is to love them when they fall down. You go, well, what if they're just wrong? You haven't been wrong? I mean, I mean, what we start with is the great foundation of who we are. And then we realize God works from there. Like this, verse 2. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities or authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So let's take a look at this. Whoever rebels against the authority. Now, what authorities again? These are not the authorities that you like. These are not the people that you like. These are all authorities. So even the ones you don't like. And whoever rebels against that authority is rebelling against God and what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now, this is not the kind of judgment that, um, uh, that uh, would lead you to go to hell. The word judgment in the Bible is used in different contexts in different ways, just like it is in any other language. Like, for example, obviously, this is not written originally in English, right? And so, just like in our language, I would say, it's my judgment that I believe you should eat some chocolate cake. And I do wholeheartedly believe that, right? And, uh, and then it's different in the Bible when it says those who do not receive Christ in this life will stand before a judgment throne and there'll be consequences. Those are two same word, different usages, right? And so here, the word, judge, the word judgment, where is it? There it is, okay. I was like, it's disappeared. God's just like, pluck, all right? So, so judgment, the word judgment in this situation, what it means is you're gonna add trouble to your life. So for example, if you're rebelling against the word, it, let's just say you develop a character of lying, right? And so you're a liar. Like you, just, like you have figured out, because you know what? It is advantageous to lie sometimes. Like you can get what you want when you lie, but you figured that out somewhere along the way. And so now you just started lying to everybody, trying to get everything you want all the time. Terrible philosophy, because you have to continually, continually look around and go, who did I... Th- what did I say to him? What did I say to her? Did I Now you have judgment on yourself, condemnation on yourself, because drama with you, because you're trying to keep up with all the lies. Now, this is an example that I've never experienced myself, but you probably have. <laughs> Imagine you're driving down I-4 at a high rate of speed. All right? And as you're driving down on I-4, you're at such a high rate. We're not talking like, when, you know, when it's 70 miles an hour and you're doing 75. I'm talking to like you're doing 95, all right? When you're driving down the road and you're flying down the road, you know what you're doing the whole time. You're anxious. You go by the overpass and you go, you know, just making sure. Because what are you looking for? You're looking for the authority, right? You're looking for the authority. And so he's basically saying, look, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so, they're just going to bring a lot of drama and a lot of judgment into their life. Don't do that. And he's telling us right now how to live in a civil society, and he's going to turn it in just a minute. He's telling us, these are things that you're just, this is the minimum standard. These are things that you should do as Christians. You shouldn't be on the other side and the wrong side of law. Why? Well, because of verse 3. For rulers, hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, but only for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended so they hold no terror for those who write. You know what I've never done in my entire life? I've never woken up on any morning of my life and thought to myself, huh, I wonder if this is the day when the FBI is going to catch me. It's just never been a thing. I've never, I've never had that. I mean, like, but if you've killed someone, you're always, you know, every officer, everybody, you know, you're looking around. For rulers, they hold no terror for those people who do right. Now, listen, this is true. And what Paul's describing right now is normal relations inside a civilized society. That's what he's describing right now. He's like, in order for you to go well in any society, remember, this is Rome. They live under a king, they're slaves. They have no rights in Roman law if they're not Roman citizens of minimal rights. So, so he's saying, don't, don't be afraid of the rulers. Don't be afraid of the authorities if you've not done something wrong. But because we live in a sinful world, in a broken world, we know that some people do have terror from the authorities because sometimes the authorities are wicked, right? So for rulers, hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you wanna be free from fear? He says, and he boils it down. Then you know what? Do what's right, do what's right. So I wanna give you like a moral situation. I wanna give you just like a, we'll do a hypothetical right now, okay? Um, just, to, just to make sure we drive this point home, okay? So here's the hypothetical, The speed limit is 50 miles an hour, right? And you're driving down the road, and your pregnant wife, and you're about 30 miles away from any hospital or medical care. And your wife is nine months plus pregnant. And her water breaks, and she's freaking out. And she says, you know, honey, there's something wrong with the baby. Something doesn't feel right. I'm scared. At that point, you have an opportunity. Now, the Bible has clearly told us, you make sure you obey the civil authorities, all right? Make sure you do that. But now we have an opportunity, and this is what Paul's trying to teach us, not just to follow the rules, but to understand the rules, to know the purpose for them. Because the whole reason he's telling us to make sure that we conform and do the right thing with with civilized society is he's basically saying that when you do this, generally speaking, it'll go well with your life right? So it's a blessing to you. I don't have to fear and be worried about stuff, right? But my wife is driving down the road. We're driving down the road, and she's pregnant. Her water breaks. She feels something's wrong. The hospital's 30 miles away. Here's the question. Do you continue, because the Bible teaches you, and because God said, to go 50 miles an hour all the way there? Yes or no? No. Most, okay. There were mixed reviews in the room, okay? So, so, so here, it's very good. Um, and, 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 and so here, check this out. So just story within a story for a second. Um, when I was a kid, uh, I grew up here in Orlando. And so um, most of you who grew up in Orlando and know have been around Orlando for a while, remember that um, there was a guy named Roy Parker in Orlando and he had Parker boats up on uh, I-4. And uh, they sold sea rays. And my dad was a big sea ray guy. He loved boats. We, and my best childhood memories are being on the water. And in the summers, we would go with Roy Parker and a bunch of other boaters, and we would spend big portions of the summer in Treasure Cay in the Abacos, in the, in the islands, the Bahamas. And it was a great experience, wonderful time, except for this. One day, there was a doctor who was in our caravan, and uh, we would just stay on our boats. And he, got a, he, he had a big boat, and he uh, pulled his dinghy off. The, a dinghy is just like a little rubber raft with a motorized engine on the back that you just kind of pull it back and forth and cruise around the islands. And all these islands are close enough to each other that you can take these little boats back and forth. And it's a lot of fun. So he took his boat out, but for some reason, he hit a wave, something happened. The, the, the dinghy capsized and it cut him from here all the way around. And my dad, as well as a bunch of other guys who were there, swam out maybe maybe like, I don't know, 20 yards. They grabbed him. They pulled him in. He's screaming, I'm here, literally right there. And they're here, And they're grabbing everything they can, their shirts and their belts, and they're doing whatever. And they're trying to tie off his leg. And as they're tying off his leg, I mean, he's bleeding, he's screaming. And they get him stabilized. And they they called for a helicopter to come and land on the island. And they would take him to Nassau, which is where the best medical care is in the Bahamas, right? And so they did all of this. And on the way there, he's a medical doctor. On the way there, he had a rule in his life. And because he was a Jehovah's Witness, the rule was you cannot accept blood. And the rule was originally intended to bring blessing. I don't agree with the rule, but the rule is intended originally to bring blessing into the life of the person, right? That was there for a reason they have, right? And and he did not take blood. He said, I can't take it. Why? Because that's a rule. He didn't understand the reason behind the rule. He just knew the rule. He followed the rule and died on the way over. Now, going back to our thing. There you are at times having to make the decision with the civil authorities between what is responsible and what is irresponsible. So it's irresponsible to drive 50 miles an hour all the way there. You go, well, that just that violates what God said to do. No, no, no. It keeps the spirit of what God said, said to do, and that is make sure that there's health and goodness in society. There's never been a society in the history of the world, never, where it was based on robbing, raping, lying, murdering and stealing. Nothing, never, ever, ever in the history of, of the world has there been, a, there been societies that were more violent than others. But there's never been one based on those principles because those principles are necessary for an ordered and civil society. And they're, 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 they're important because they bring good and blessing into our lives. One more car story, and I'm done. Well, one day I was uh, going to the I was going to the mall. Uh, to, I was cutting through my neighbor, like a neighborhood in Altamont and uh, to get to the Altamont Mall to go to AMC. We're going to watch a movie with my kids. All my kids were there. And uh, you know those unnecessary stop signs in your neighborhood? (laughs) (laughs) So, so... It was just really late. And for me, I'm like 15 minutes early is late. You know, I'm just like one of those people. So I always want to be there for the previews too. So, so I'm coming in, you know, and I'm just, I'm flying it. I see it. I'm like, I'm blowing it. You know, I'm right past it. There's a police officer right there. I was like, cool, 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 cool. And, uh, and he came up right behind me and, uh, and walked up. And, and I have this thing that I do I, I, because I have like massive respect for cops. And I think their job stinks. Like, I think it's a terrible job. I mean, like, I'm so glad they do it because we'd be in trouble if they didn't. But, but I think it's a terrible job. So I try to make it as easy as possible. And I've told the kids, so here's what I do. Turn off the engine, roll down all the windows, just so that when they're walking in, they can see everything just for their safety, right? And so I put my hand out the thing there, no, nothing, no gun in this hand. I put the other one up on the, up on the shirt, is what I do. I'm not telling you to do the same thing, just, just what I do. And so he walks up and he sees me and he sees my kids in the back and he's pretty relaxed. He goes, so you didn't see that stop sign, did you? And I'm like, I knew I was doing what's wrong, and I was like, no, I, I saw it. I just, I'm late for a movie. And uh, <laughs> he, he, he's like, cool, cool, cool. And, uh, and, and, uh, and he's like, driver's license. So I was like, okay, sure. And I took the driver's license. And uh, you know, he went back over there. I, I said to him, I said, officer, I really legitimate. I'm not gonna give you any bad attitude about this. I made the decision a long time ago. If I'm speeding, I'm just gonna take it you know, and, and because that's what civil laws are, you know, you know, it's going to be a few hundred dollars. That's what you're, that's the choice you're making, right? So, so I did that. I said, I'm not going to make, make this a problem for you. And so uh, just go ahead and give me the ticket. He goes, all right. And uh, went back to the car and I'm talking with the kids now they're in there. And one of my kids is so young and he's going, you're going to prison. Are you going to prison? Are you going to, be, are you going to prison? He's all worried about his future. Like who's going to feed us? Where are we going to get, are we going to sleep? You know, and, and it was awesome. And, and, and so it's just like this moment, right? And, um, and he comes back up and he goes, hey, he go, I told the kids, I said, listen, when you do something wrong, you take the responsibility for it, right? That's what you do, right? And we don't act bad towards authorities, towards rulers, right? And so, so it was amazing because um, he came back up and he gives me, uh, this drives my wife crazy, by the way. Uh, he gave me my license back and said, have a nice day. I said, have a nice day. I've already missed the credits at the beginning, you know? And no, I didn't, I didn't say that at all. I didn't say that at all. But... But I, 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 he goes, have a nice day, Mr. because I go, you're not going to be in a He goes, no. He goes, thanks for the attitude, you know? And it was just, it was great. It was great. And I turned back around. I said, boys, that's called grace, you know? <laughs> you don't get punished for something that you deserve that's what God's grace is, and that's where it drives Kelly crazy. Because I'm not saying I get pulled over all the time, but that's by God's grace that I don't get pulled over all the time. But when I do, I never get a ticket. I don't know what it is. She is just like, your life is just... Because my, my wife can go like three over, and they're like, you're going to federal penitentiary right now. Like, <laughs> like, it's just... So, for rulers hold no terror for those who do what's right, but for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? then do what's right. You're, we're going to see kind of just in a second how Paul kind of wraps all this up for us. He says in verse five, um, actually in verse four, rather, in the best of times, this is what authority is supposed to look like. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. Um, as grace as Grace's pastor, I am its servant for good, of, servant of the Lord for the good of the people. But if you are, But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They have the ability to find you. They have the ability to put you in jail. Why? Because they're God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So what we want to see is that when we look at these kinds of authorities, and we're like, I hate all that stuff. And, and of course, again, there's wicked authorities. We're not talking about that right now, just terrible authorities. But in a regular season of order and decency, they're agents of God's wrath. It's meant for our good because to subtract them from society would absolutely mean the end of society. It would be chaos. Verse five, therefore it's necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but as a matter of conscience. Let's talk about this for a second. I hope, I hope that you submit to the Lord not because you're afraid he's going to send you to hell. Now listen, if you became a Christian because you didn't want to go to hell, there's nothing wrong with that. But it is the most basic reason to follow him. A mature reason is right here because it's a matter of conscience. Because he's loved me so well and forgiven me so much and extended grace after grace after grace after grace, mercy after mercy after mercy, that I can do nothing else. How can I, as a person of conscience, do anything else? He has blessed me and walked with me and guided me and led me and been kind to me. How can I do anything else? It's now not a matter of whether I'm going to heaven or not. I know I'm going to heaven because you're awesome. No, because I'm a hypocrite and I needed Jesus in order to get to heaven. And that's what we are as Christians. And so he turns it back around right here and it's just so beautiful. We're going to use a story from Jesus in a minute to like interpret all of this. He says, therefore, it's necessary to, you to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. And by the way, verse 6, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Verse 7, give to everyone what you owe them. This is Paul. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, pay your taxes. If revenue, then you, pay, you bought something, pay, pay for it. If respect, then respect. If honor, give people honor. So there's a story in the New Testament about Jesus, and it's Jesus and a group of people called the Herodians, and they come together to trick Jesus, and they hate him, absolutely despise Jesus. Why? Because religious leaders in the first century were powerful and wealthy. They were the top of the food chain in Israel, and when Jesus came in, he started dismantling the power structures and the ways in which they were working things out, and he basically called them sinners and whitewashed tombs And nobody in Israel did that because if you were an Israelite and you went against what a Pharisee uh, said, he could ban you from the temple of God and that would cut you off from actual worship of God. So they literally had the power to cut you out of God. You couldn't go directly to God in the the beginning of the New Testament or the Old Testament. You had to go through the priest. And so he says, just give to everyone what you owe them, right? And so these guys come to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, they're trying to trick him. They ask him a very easy question. It seems like easy, but it's a trick. They want to hurt him. Hey, are we supposed to pay the imperial tax? Are we supposed to pay Caesar what we owe him? I mean, we're, we're like followers of Jesus. We're people of God, right? We're not people of the state. We don't do that, right? And Jesus responds differently because here was their goal. If he would have said, no, we don't have to pay him. Rome would then have the power to imprison Jesus and possibly execute him. So this is the heart, but listen to the charming And deceptive language. Verse 14. They came to him, to Jesus, and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. We know that you tell the truth, Jesus. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarii. It's like a quarter. And let me look at it. They brought the coin and asked him, whose image is this and whose inscription is on it? They looked at the coin. Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. They were amazed that he slipped out of their trap. They were amazed at how he responded. Let me tell you what's happening here. People look at this frequently and they go, well, this is just about paying your taxes. Has nothing to do with paying your taxes other than simply to say, pay your taxes. Here's the bigger point that's being instructed here. Jesus, just imagine it differently because we can't see it. This is how I've always imagined it because this is what the original intention of this writing was, this. So he says, hey, listen, are we supposed to pay tax? Give me a quarter. Whose image is on this? Caesar's. It's his inscription, right? It says Caesar, right? Yes, it's Caesar's. Okay, so take this. He flips it back to them, right? Pay Caesar what you owe him. Give to Caesar everything that he asks you. If he says, hey, give, give me half of everything you have, just give it to him. Why? Because this kingdom is not our kingdom. Give to, when he says give to Caesar what is Caesar's, he means Caesar is the world. And do what they ask you to do because that's not where we're investing our time, our treasure, or our talents. So we're going to give to Caesar what he requires. Watch this. And we're going to turn around and we're going to give God what is God's. Now, what is God's? The earth and all the fullness thereof, the Bible says. Everything in it. Every man, woman, child, my, my, my wife, my kids our ministry, the the stewardship of reputation, everything that that is, is God's. And he's saying, here, take these guys, these Pharisees who are politicians and trying to drag me into a political argument that's going to cause me pain in my life. He slips the knot, walks through it and says, I'm not going to be a politician for you. I'm not going to answer these questions for you because that is the kingdom of Caesar. It's the kingdom of this world and it's not ours We have to be in the world and smart and wise, but we don't have to be of the world. The other side of it is, now give to God what is God's, your whole life, your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, all of it. We pick up our text in Romans 13, eight. This is where everything switches. We've talked about man's laws. Now we turn to God's laws and God's heart. Verse 13, I mean, Romans 13, verse eight. Let no debt remain outstanding. Except the continuing debt to love one another. It's interesting when you look at this. The idea behind it is that love is a kind of debt. It's a kind of debt. So the first debt is practical let no debt remain outstanding. In other words, the borrower is slave to the lender, right? If you owe someone a debt, pay it. Because the last thing that Paul wants the church to be is filled with people or Christians who are not doing what is responsible. And therefore, people can criticize us because we're not responsible and therefore criticize our savior. He says, make your life morally as right as it can be. Do what is right. That way, there's no terror in your life. But here, so he's like, this is about like, make sure you pay the things that are right. He says, accept, accept. The one debt that needs to remain outstanding is the continuing debt to love one another. He calls this a debt. Why? This is a debt because if you're a Christian in the room, Jesus has forgiven you all of your sins. He was actually punished on your behalf for your sins, not for sin in general, but for all the sins of your life and my life. We were, we were lost and fallen and broken and Jesus came and he restored us and he put us on a new path so that we could have hope and life in the future. And we have been loved. And I have this thing, I, just, I believe this with all my heart. Those who have been loved well, have the capacity to love well. And therefore, let no debt except for the outstanding debt of love to stand. God's loved us. He's forgiven us. Do we then turn back around and not love others? No, no, no. This whole thing, all of this talk of government, all this stuff is basically to say, that is their kingdom. Do what is necessary. Now there are times where we have to not do what is necessary. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament are great examples of that. They basically stood up and said, we will not bow down to the golden image because we bow down only to God. And they were thrown in a fiery furnace for it. So if your state requires you to do something specifically, not passively, but specifically that violates your faith, then you don't have to do that thing. But those are really, really honestly few and far between. Here, We're just supposed to let this go. Is it important? Sure. It's part of society. It's a blessing to our life to have organized culture, not just chaos and and madness. But really, really, really? He's like, this is just the world you live in, but you're not of. The rest of this is the kingdom. And the kingdom is all about continuing to live out of the debt that we owe Jesus, that we owe the father, and that we extend to everyone else. But they don't deserve it sometimes. That's exactly right, neither do we. And because of that, we have a capacity of love that's different than everybody else in the world. We don't cancel people because they're wrong. We don't cancel them because they're wicked. We hang with them. We talk to them. We teach them. We give them hope. That's what Christians do. That's who we are. Verse nine, he turns now from man's laws to God's laws. And and, and sometimes I'll hear people say, go ahead and pop that up there, the commandments. I'll hear people, Christians sometimes say, you know, I'm really just about relationship, not rules. But what you need to understand is that the rules ensure the relationship. That's that's why when a, a man and a woman get together, right, they say yes to one another and no to anyone else. Because when they say yes to each other, they're saying I do with you, not with anyone else. And so so the rules help us love well. You shall not commit adultery. You don't steal someone's husband because it destroys a wife and children. You don't don't take someone's wife because it destroys a husband and their children. And that's not loving. So these are not just rules. God's not a cosmic killjoy. He's not like, I just don't want you to have any fun. No, that's not it. He's like, I want you to be whole. And I want you to be good, and I want you to be right. I want you to feel good on the inside. I want you to be all right. I don't want you to have terror that you did something wrong. So don't, don't commit adultery. Don't, don't murder someone because that, you'll carry that with you for the rest of your life. It'll stay in your heart, and it'll stop a life that could have changed down the road. Don't take something from someone else because it's not yours. They worked hard for that thing. Don't covet something that doesn't belong to you because the Lord has not seen fit to give that to you yet. Maybe in due time, he will. And whatever other command there may be. So he just throws a catch-all. All are summarized up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus was talking, this love your neighbor as yourself thing, it was one half of what he said fulfilled the entire law of the Old Testament. So here it is from Matthew chapter 22. He says this, talking to the Pharisees, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Part or all, all. Love it, love him with all of your love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then verse 38, this is the first and greatest commandment. Why is it first? Because it's first in your life. Listen, this is gonna sound strange to you because it's gonna feel foreign, because you've invested in a person so much that you've missed out on something else. I don't love my wife as much as I love Jesus. Not even close. I, I don't love my children as much as I love Jesus. Not even close. And for some of you, that's foreign because you just have, you dove all in on this person and you've placed all your expectations and hopes on the other person. And by the way, the other person's carrying that weight of all your expectations. For me, I have three people in my marriage at all time. It's her, it's me, and it's Jesus. And when it's her and me only, it's not good. When it's me going to Jesus about her and her going to Jesus about me, he teaches me how to love her well. When it's me and the kids, he teaches me how to love them well. When it's me and a neighbor, he teaches me how to love the neighbor well. Loving God first places everything else in an appropriate context and in an appropriate position in your life. You won't place so much expectation on your wife or your husband because you're saying, please make me whole. No one can do that for you. And you'll only end up disappointed. But Jesus can do that for you. No one person can do that for you. But Jesus can do that for you. And so it ends like with this whole thing. Uh, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, he replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the greatest commandment. The second's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, if you do these two things, then the law is fulfilled. And what does he mean by that? He didn't come to get rid of the law. He came to fulfill it. So, so in other words, my wife doesn't have to make rules for me to care for her if I care for her. There's no need for a rule if you're doing it already. And that's what he's saying when we love in that way, when we love passionately with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, we fulfill the law. Verse 10 gives us practical handles on this too. It says this, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So I was, uh, <laughs> I was at the Alphon this week. And uh, I go there a lot. Most people who attend this church regularly know that. I do my sermons there. I can't do it in my office here. People would just come in and out all day long. I can't get anything done. So I go to the alpha. I've been doing it for years and years and years. And uh, I've noticed that uh, more and more pastors are showing up doing the same thing. I think they're hearing about it, And, uh, and uh, which is a bummer for me. And uh, so, so, uh, so I was there, and uh, two things happened. It was really fun. Um, one, which was, which was really amazing, was one of you... Uh, came. I don't know if I see the, you in the room right now, but you, you walked around the corner and started laughing. When you saw me sitting there in my chair, you're like, oh, you really are here. I'm like, yeah, I don't lie. And, uh, but they, but I, you know how I tell, I tell people every once in a while, go talk to the staff at the Alphon if they know me or if you know what they think about me. And they did it because they don't trust me. And, uh, and uh, they're like, what do you think of them? And, and of course, they chose the only waiter in the entire place who like, didn't speak English. And they were like, oh. but uh, So that was kind of funny. But what was, what was amazing was one of the guys who's in leadership over there, he was walking by, and I talked to this guy a lot, and I just know him now, and I saw his face was downcast. I said, hey, what's going on? You all right? He goes, no, I've got people, I got people who are quitting. I've got people who are leaving. I've got people who are frustrated. Everyone's just anxious and frustrated right now, and he's like, it all falls on me when it falls apart. I'm like, I get that totally. That's part of what it means to be a leader when, when when people don't do what they're supposed to do, everything falls on you. I get that totally. I said, man, hey, I just want you to know, I know, I mean, whether it's for good or bad, like I'm totally on your side. I get what's going on. And he said, Thank you. I appreciate that. And then I said, you know what? Today, just today, I'm gonna pray for you. He went. And <laughs> he didn't recoil because he was like, I don't believe in prayer. He just shot back for a second and then he just looked at me for a second. We just stared at each other, I'm getting this is awkward. And he responded, and he said, thank you so much. He said, I totally need it. I don't think he has any faith. But he's like, I totally need it. that's That's what it means for us to do no harm, to walk through the world in such a way that as many times as possible, every encounter that you have with both believer and unbeliever, you have the opportunity to bring grace and goodness and love into that person's life in such a way that when people look at you They see that you are clothed with Jesus, that he just comes out of who you are. That's how we love the world around us. That's how how we change things, because we have been loved so well, we're called to love everyone else just as well, amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus, we, we know that we're never going to do that perfectly, but here's what we do know, Lord. Our intention and our heart and the direction and posture of our life is to do that. We want that, God. We want to be those people. We want to do, uh, do things in your name that encourage people, strengthen them, and introduce them to the gospel. You set us free from our sin. We want to help other people be set free from their sin. And the way to do that is to do no harm and, to sh- and to show them the love that comes from you. That's how we were one, God. Most of us were not one because we were just afraid of some kind of terror of going to hell. We were one because you were good to us. And Father, just think about what it would be like for this church and this city to be a church that just unleashes that kind of love in the world with people we disagree with, with people that we're not on the same page with, with the authorities above us. Father, help us to do what is right in the eyes of the world so they can't criticize us for doing wrong in this world and therefore discount Jesus. Let our lives be an example in such a way, both with our failures and with our strengths, that show you are worthy. It's in your name we pray. Amen.